Hi, everyone. My name's Johnny Scott, and I'd like to welcome you to Phoenix On Demand, or POD, as we like to call it. This is episode two, series two, in our schedule of podcasts, where we will help educate and hopefully entertain you on all things IT. So... Over the last year, many, if not all, industries and sectors have had to make some significant changes due to the COVID-19 pandemic. But the education sector have been very much at the forefront of having to understand, adapt and move forward at an unprecedented pace. Whilst at the same time delivering global leading research to aid the government in its response to the virus, it's not surprising that as a global leader in education, the UK has been front and centre in the news media campaigns across the world. So we're here today to see how technology has helped or hindered the education sector over the last 12 months, what role it plays now and in the future for both staff and students, and what the key challenges are for higher education institutions. So I am delighted to say that we have a fantastic panel of people responsible for delivering these sorts of outcomes in the education sector. So joining me today is Mark Bramwell, the CIO of Syed Business School in Oxford, Nigel Buckland, Associate Director at Leeds Beckett University, David Telford, Executive Director at University of Stirling, and Dax Scott, who is the Sales Manager for Higher Education at Phoenix. So hi everyone, how's everybody doing? Very well, thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, good. Thank you all for, for joining me today. And, and can we start by giving our listeners a bit of a background on you and your experience within the industry and your current roles, please? So if we start with you, Mark, please. Hi, Johnny. Thank you. Yeah, uh, my name is Mark Bramwell. I'm the CIO of Side Business School, University of Oxford, and I've been fortunate enough to be in that position for just coming up to six years. Uh, prior to that, I worked at the Wellcome Trust in uh, not-for-profit and prior to that, WH Smith Retail. So my background's been very varied. I've also served as chair of the Corporate IT Forum uh, for three years and recently served as a non-executive director to the Royal National Orthopaedic Hospital, uh, one of the top uh, orthopaedic hospitals in the UK. Lovely to have you with us, Mark. And uh, Nigel, you next, please. Uh, so I run the IT operations team at Leeds Beckett, which is uh, a multifunctional team running both service delivery, service management, as well as the core infrastructure functions. Um, I've been at Leeds Beckett for six years. Prior to that, uh, I spent 10 years uh, in the evil financial empire of RBS and latterly Streamline on the merchant acquiring side. Uh, and before that, a varied career involving a bit of nightclub management and a commission in the army. Great. Thanks for joining us, Nigel. Um, David, over to you next. Hi there. Um, Executive Director of Information Services at the University of Stirling. Um, I'm responsible for all things IT and library. Um, I've been at Stirling now for just over two years. Um, <clears throat> I joined just in time for a major flood and a pandemic, uh, so I think I'm kind of working on to a plague of locusts next, but um, <clears throat> It certainly kept us entertained the last couple of years. Um, I'm a former chair of USISA and um, I've been around the sector for about 25 years, although I was in the private sector and a business owner prior to joining the sector. Glad to have you with us, David. And last but by no means least, Dax, over to you. Yeah, thank you, Johnny. So my name is Dax Scott. I am the um, 
sales manager for the, for the education team here at Phoenix Software. I've been at Phoenix and in IT, which both both go hand in hand, uh, for just over 10 years. Uh, and the most of that time we're working in the education sector uh, as well, working with HEFE and um, in, for a couple of years with, with the school sector. So, um, yeah, seen a lot change, seen a lot have to change uh, over that time. And certainly in the last couple of years, things speed up um as you can imagine so so yeah and, and and again thank you from 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 me as well to the guys for joining us today um yeah thank you all brilliant thanks for the introductions everyone i'll now ask some questions to the floor so feel free to dive in and discuss any of the points raised by me or anybody else so i'll start by asking a very generic question but one that i think is necessary how has the last 12 months been for you and your institutions Shall I start off by saying the word frantic? Because I think that probably um, probably shares across the, the piece. Yeah, I mean, it's been non-stop. Um, I think from our perspective, it's been reactionary, very reactionary. I think we always like to plan our deployments, plan where we're doing uh, work. Uh, frankly, we haven't had the opportunity to do that. We've, we've had to react to the external environments, work very quickly to deploy solutions so that we can continue and promote learning and teaching. But yeah, it hasn't stopped. Similarly, Nigel, I've found it uh, extraordinarily busy. Um, we were fortunate. We had done a lot of groundwork in that first year and a half that I had joined the University of Stirling um, because we had embarked on a, a, a kind of transformation programme anyway. It was a three-year plan. It certainly got accelerated. Um, and it, uh, uh, the switch from... Um, on campus to off campus was probably one of the biggest challenges for us. Um, uh, uh, it turns out that um, later on the, the challenges grew, um, but we responded pretty well to the lockdown scenario because it was pretty clear cut. Um, but it did put significant demands on that flip for our infrastructure to take it from off campus, uh, uh, from on campus to off campus. And then on top of that, um, I'm sure everybody here will be aware there was a series of fairly high level high profile security incidents in the sector as well so as well as managing that really serious shift in business operation we had to deal with the security threat and the changing landscape there as well so for us it was seriously challenging and um, uh, 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 that agility that was required from our academic colleagues um, uh, was was significant and and they responded fantastically um but i'll kind of finish my little bit by just saying that what i realized very quickly was our ability to flip um uh, was actually you know better than i thought it would be our infrastructure responded well yes there was a lot of work we had to do to ensure that it was sustainable and consistent over recent months but what became apparent was the hybrid solution that was going to kick in in September where we were going to be both on and off campus and that the line in the sand would be ever shifting between on and off campus was going to be a real challenge and that was the groundwork we had to do over the summer working with colleagues to prepare for that so so it was a never evolving challenge and um, uh, not least of all in January it all changed again so um, yeah, quite a challenging time for all of us, I think. 
Great, thank you, thank you for that, guys. So I guess we we move we move on then to talk about some specific use cases. Um, so you know we talked there around you know the the acceleration of, of transformation, and we, and we see this across a lot of the sectors that we operate in. But I think you know with a, with a magnifying glass over over the education sector because of you know the sheer number of challenges that, that you guys have had to to deal with. Um, so you know what specific challenges have we had to overcome there, and 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 what's gone well what hasn't gone so well i think john i think johnny if i sort of uh, start on this one you know as a segue to the previous question we, we've also been incredibly frantic but not in the ways that we would have anticipated you know uh it's it's really been about you know the exploitation the support and the continuous improvement of the team and the school with the student experience forefront of mind so with that as a sort of foundation what's what's gone well what's what's not gone well i think We've been actually very fortunate as a business school that a lot of what we've done has gone well. And, you know, very similar to David, a lot of the previous investments and support of the school's senior leadership groups in IT strategies has really borne fruit at home. You know, our, our investments in Microsoft Azure, uh, Office 365, Teams, Zoom, Canvas have really been the foundations to enable that switch. And it's been relatively seamless. Uh, and, what's, and what's gone well has been what we've seen as the adoption of those technologies and how we've supported those at the adoption of that technologies. Our faculty in particular have responded incredibly well. You know, we, like many organizations, we went through you know, that digital pivot, that digital transformation in two weeks. And members of our faculty were, who were previously nervous or uh, reluctant to adopt those technologies have embraced, embraced them and welcomed them. And now they're a fundamental part, you know, they're the sole part of their delivery and their connectivity to our students. Our students themselves have pivoted and, and adjusted incredibly well from the online experience. Uh, you know, it's very difficult, I'm sure we'll come to it, to, to really substituting that discussive, you know, community networking nature, and which is very much at the heart of Oxford and, and teaching in Oxford. But the students have adapted brilliantly. And I will say, finally, last piece of that jigsaw, our, our staff. You know, our, our staff have done a fantastic job. You know, my team, the departments across the school, I think it's really demonstrated the school being at its best in terms of everybody pulling together, in terms of having a really clear vision around what success looks like and what good looks like. And I think it's, it's amazing to see what organisations can achieve when you have that single focused alignment. Is, is, has it been for you guys a, a, a not surprise as such that your teams have been able to have stepped up? Because I'm, I, you know, I'm presuming that you know that, that, that those first few weeks would have been, like you say, not, not more, more manic than frantic to get however many students up online and staff online and working. But has, has it kind of been a chance for IT and your teams to kind of show that the, you, you know the service you you deliver is 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 a lot of there is a lot of value there you know more than before really that you kind of i don't want to say taken for granted because i wouldn't assume that you were but but it's certainly given it a chance to show look this is what this is how we can move and this is what we can do not not that kind of planned you know i'll say slow but you know what i mean but that planned kind of progression it's been rushed and you've been forced and and the fact is it has been able to do it and do it in the timescales that have been forced upon them so is that is that i'm guessing that has that been a 
a positive from from this that that you know it has been been cast in this light that that, it, that you've that you've been able to move i think i think so I, absolutely uh, absolutely um i mean what you're saying mark totally resonates the way that the the teams both infrastructure the service management teams have pulled together has been fantastic i think i'm glad but i sort of expected that um you know that makes sense for me and i'm picking up a point that dave um david mentioned what has been really fantastic though is that it's the university that's pulled together that those artificial divides that always exist in an organization between technology other professional services academics frankly have gone and right from day one the collaborative approach to just making it work to transitioning to remote working to accelerating the the training um, for those colleagues who weren't routine vpn or remote desktop users that has been fantastic and yeah there has been that recognition from a wider set of colleagues but it really has been noticeable how the whole university is pulled together um and that's across the board so what you said mark totally resonates yeah i can completely agree with that i think that um uh, there was a couple of outcomes for me that were quite interesting and and, and one example i can give um there was a recognition very quickly just how reliant on their IT uh, that the university was, and that was um, uh, um, pleasing because it validated the work that we had been doing beforehand. I'm sure Mark and Nigel would both agree. I'd been warning of some form of disruption coming to the sector for some time. I'd been warning the sector about it, and I was warning my senior management team. In fact, that <coughs> year, at a senior management team meeting, my presentation with the HR director, interestingly enough, was on disruption. And, and I was looking at all sorts of area of disruption without seeing a pandemic. Frankly, the reason for it is irrelevant. The fact that was that we were trying to spot disruption coming. So I think as a sector, the IT sector within education were actually well, well prepared. They knew it was coming and they had put the background technologies in place and the platforms in place. What I found really challenging was the was was, was the threat landscape, um, was the information security issues. Because one of the things that it was more difficult to achieve was with the senior management team or the wider university. And um, I'm used to stand like the others, I'm sure. I'm used to standing up in front of, you know. Uh, all my colleagues at some sort of meeting and other, either a senior management team meeting or a faculty meeting where all the senior uh, and academic colleagues or professional service colleagues are there. And I'm saying, look, this is a serious problem. I need to switch to MFA. I need to do this or I need to do that in order to secure our environment or to change our environment. And I can usually, by discussion and, and um, evidence, uh, persuade people that things had to change. Um, well, I think I was three maybe four weeks into lockdown when some of the big security incidents hit in the UK and I had to do it virtually and I found that quite <laughs> challenging where I had to go to people really quickly and say I'm going to make this change and I'm going to evolve our networking to look like this and you're going to have to adapt a little bit but I didn't have that opportunity to do the really big audience and do that you know big evidence piece. The great news was because we had been operating under the pandemic conditions and we had proved that the technology works and it was agile, they went with me on it. 
And that really helped. And what I really valued was sector colleagues coming to me with their knowledge and experience and saying, geez, David, you need to change this because it's serious and we need to move quickly. And so that shared knowledge and working that goes on across the sector is something I didn't experience outside the education sector. And, I, and I've still got, still got many contacts outside the education sector and it just doesn't happen. But here in the education sector, we have to maintain that because it was an absolute saviour for me where I could go to other people and say, you know, I've got some issues with MFA on remote desktop. Can you help me? What are you thinking? What are you doing? And we would share that information and I was able to move quickly on it. So, so that collegiate approach, not only within the university, but outside was really brilliant and, um, and has kept us all going, I think. I think that's I think that's a great story, David. I mean, just just from a side business school perspective, not dissimilar to yourself and Nigel. I, th I think the pandemic has really sort of highlighted an, a new understanding and respect for for IT and audiovisual, which I also cover at the at the business school. I think previously they were seen as very much sort of back office functions, and now it's very much come to the forefront and front of office. And, and the understanding around the importance of the network, the connectivity, the service desk, the remote support, you know, the distance learning, the in-class support, the setup uh, is, is uh, significantly enhanced now. And we've been very fortunate that although it is absolutely a team effort across the school, you know, the, the, the contributions of the team have, have been recognised and called out in many forums. And that's, you know, I'm incredibly proud of the team in the way that they've responded to that. I will say it, it's become, uh, in a good way, a bit of a double-edged sword. So in a, so in a, so in a good way, that, that prominence and profile, uh, that recognition of contribution has been great. Uh, obviously, the business now has an expectation in, in that we were able to, you know, to transform and pivot 420 staff, 80 faculty, 1,100 students, 90 global multinational clients within two weeks. Is now the expectation for every project. Um, yeah. you know, it's, it's a healthy challenge to have uh, and, and it's a good one to have but I think because I think it's testament to the confidence and trust that the school has in us now but there is certainly a management of expectations that goes with the pace of delivery now but, it, but it's but it's a good one and I'm sure it's one we recognize that we're all going to live in a world now of faster better cheaper right first time. I, I just build on that. I think you, you both mentioned strategy and the importance of having that strategy, which again leads back it with very much the same. We had already committed ourselves down a path of um, supporting a far greater remote learning environment. We deployed teams, we built on that. I think the fact we'd had that strategy and we were able to effectively see it come to life, it did remove those barriers, it did create that trust. And I think therefore David, you're talking about the challenges on security, and we, we faced exactly the same pieces with having to rapidly accelerate a, an MFA rollout. It did cut through that decisioning process. And one of the real benefits that we've seen now is it, university governance. Frankly, the first, I mean, as Dax will know, I've had a number of conversations. The first year I was in this sector, coming from uh, private equi equity in the merchant acquiring business, I was in tears on virtually a daily basis when I was trying to get minor papers and minor spend approved. Actually, the university now does see as genuinely as that trusted partner, not just to say um, a commodity provider. And when it comes to presenting papers, looking for quick decisions, looking for an aggressive approach to rolling out some of the, the tools that, that we need to both protect our, our students, but also to drive learning and teaching, 
that whole process has become so slick and far more efficient. That, that that's a real benefit to us. Yeah, that's that's great to hear from from all three of you guys there. I think you know there's some really really good stories there that have come out of each each and every one of the the institutions. Think, you know, IT's definitely now proved itself and and proved the value in being able to deliver on on transformation and and assist with the the curriculum and and, and that's really really pleasing and impressive to hear um and you know hats off to you for for, for you know you, you're the guys who have been there dealing with this day in day out for the last year and it is no mean feat so you know um i'm sure all of our listeners will be uh, very appreciative of that so we we move on to um uh, the subject next of the students um how have the students found all of this uh, well, shall, I, shall I start on that? I mean, we, we've all read the press. There have been some, you know, students have been hugely disrupted. This is a, a hugely important time for them. Um, frankly, their expectations at the start of the last academic year were blown out of the were blown out of the water reasonably alone into that year. I think they have been um, really good and really proactive in moving to that remote environment in that first first extended lockdown period. Uh, actually, I think student demands are rightly. Um, becoming more and more in this phase whilst we're in a blended teaching and I think the challenge that that we have to support our academic colleagues is that we are still very geared around either delivering remotely really well now actually um, or we're really good at develop, delivering on campus but that whole um, desire from a number of the academic groups to uh, deliver synchronously between remote, uh, you know, in a blended environment is just really difficult. And the students expect it. We've set it at a, an expectation with the students that we can support them wherever. Uh, and actually, from a technology perspective, that's really hard. Uh, and from an academic perspective, to understand how you're going to manage students physically pleasant, present with you and others who may be shielding, lockdown or working remotely, in a way that they are all engaged, I think is a real challenge, both from a technology perspective, but also from an academic delivery perspective. Building on what Nigel said, that that I think that replicating that experience is incredibly difficult. And I think, you know, it, it is possibly more acutely brought into focus at the business school as a, as a postgraduate yeah. uh, school where the sort of student tuition fees are significantly higher than the undergraduate student fees. Therefore, the you know, the student expectations are higher. You know the the perhaps unique uh, feature of the college experience uh, of the college dinner of of the networking of of the course the program where you know the faculty input and then the discussive nature the networking after that is is hard. Our our students have been incredibly patient and incredibly good in terms of how they have adapted to that. And again, perhaps uniquely, you know our, our MBA as an example is is 92% overseas. As, a, as, as perhaps a vote of confidence, the vast majority of those students chose to come to Oxford for an experience during that pandemic. And, you know, we still have a duty of care to them because they're here. We have to, you know, we have to look after them. They're in a different country, often on their own. Uh, and, you know, we have a responsibility for that. And I think the only way that we can do that is by continued openness, transparency, visibility, letting them know that we are there for them, letting them know that services and buildings are open for them because, you know, we do have that duty of care, whether it be educationally, academically, whether it be health and well-being, whether it be mental health. Uh, but that, you know, how do you create that experience online, I'm going to say, is a challenge that we all face every day 
and I, I don't wish to be negative. We do, we do our best to replicate what we can. We're as inclusive as we can. We're as accessible as we can. But I think it's actually impossible to, to substitute that face-to-face -face contact, uh, the community building, the networking in an online space. And I don't think you ever will. I think there will always be a place face-to-face -face teaching. I think um, these are really points well made from from Nigel and Mark and, and, and really important in their implications for the education sector going forward. Um, my observation is that um, I, uh, that that blend of asynchronous synchronous teaching that Nigel referred to um, from a cognitive process development has got some ways to go. It's difficult to do. Um, yes, we've all come online uh, pretty quickly, but I told you about challenges and getting my messages across around information security. Well, it's the same for our academic colleagues. Being comfortable in that hybrid environment where some of our academic colleagues are actually doing face-to-face -face and teaching online at the same time. And these processes are not natural to them and they have to learn them. And it's And we have to support people in that learning journey and it takes time. It takes all of us time to adapt. Equally though, our students are learning these processes as well. There's a certain assumption that I think is incorrect, if you don't mind me saying, which is that the students just take to it like a duck to water. They don't. Um, like many of us, some of us naturally get it quite quickly and others need a lot of help. And, and one of the things that, that's impacting that is digital poverty as well. And so we're having to really work hard to level the playing field online. And that's really challenging because when you come to a, canva, a campus, you have fantastic technology readily accessible to you. We do laptop loan services. We've got hardship funds that support longer term loads. Uh, loans and we've got great labs and facilities that are all there but if you're doing at a distance then then learning how to do these things virtually is new for many and sometimes they don't have the technology so we've got some serious challenges still going forward and the idea that we've overcome those challenges is actually far from the truth we've got a long journey to go on even though we've been remarkable in that pivot that Mark talked about, it was remarkable. But we've got a lot of work to do. And, and the good news is um, the, the people in the sector are the right people to be on that journey because they understand pedagogy and education and they're understanding why the technology now is important, more so sometimes in the buildings or, or even some of the, the physical technologies that we've got. So the, the change is here. And it's challenging for both staff and students. Can, can I just jump in, Jonathan? You probably want to take us somewhere else, but just no, absolutely. what David said. That whole thing around digital accessibility, though, that, that has been crucial. So I'm really glad you mentioned that because one of the things that became very clear, well, from the student perspective, which is where you started, is exactly what you said, that we had to invest a lot more as a university in supporting students and and that was good for us it gave us the opportunity to work with our existing partners to come up with different opportunities for them to purchase devices or be given devices in the long term but equally it did cause us to look at, at our staff end user device strategy and we, we're a very traditional on-campus uh, university yes we, we we've always supported remote learning but it's not been a core part of our business 
um, actually when it comes to staff ability to to use devices well frankly um, we did what we could we deployed 240 um, laptops in the first in the first 10 days but but after that it's been a struggle and we're having to look at our long-term strategy for end user devices and, and what that means for the university so I think there's an awful long way to go in respect of addressing both staff and student digital accessibility it's not an easy one yeah I'd like to come back in on because I think there's a there's a kind of rounding off point here for me um uh, the the challenge of digital accessibility is important but it's not just a university problem it's a vendor problem as well mm -hmm. um I, I have to say um I, many of our vendors were absolutely fantastic in uh, supporting us when we had to do that pivot when we had to change our operating practices and and remain so while we we're evolving those practices as the pandemic lasts and as we plan for coming out of the pandemic and what that future might look like. However, some of them have had real challenges in, in rethinking how their license models work. And, and really, this is you know something the sector really has to consider from a vendor perspective is that um, uh, what works as a campus license doesn't necessarily work as an on-campus functional license. And, and I've spent time with some, you know, multinational vendors explaining to them that actually they're hurting their own business because they can't see scale <clears throat> in the same way that many of our app providers see scale. They see it as, yeah, but you're asking me to give it to all of your students and to reduce our bottom line charge from, you know, I'm making this up, but say £100 down to £20 to give it to all your students. And I'm saying, yeah, but you're getting 80% more students than you had before using your product and you're getting more money because it costs more. And I'm willing to pay a bit more, but I'm not going to pay that amount because I just can't afford it. So we need to find a balance here. And they've really struggled with that thinking. And, and, and really some of our vendors have got to <coughs> really step up here and see the opportunity as well as the challenge but they need to be more agile in their pricing models and their and their practice because if they don't they'll be left behind as, as you see that many have already started to move to a much more user lower cost entry-level model that allows particularly students to access you know their product um, and and many vendors have been very good at this, which is why, you know, the big vendors stay around a long time because they've seen the opportunity to encourage students in particular, hundreds of thousands of them across the UK as well, they're the future market. So if we get them now, then then they're, they're our business in the future. But others have really struggled with that. And it's meant hard, difficult negotiations and overly complex administration to make sure that our licenses work. So my appeal is really to, 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 to others is to think about that. We're going to work as a sector together to try and drive change, but our vendors have to respond equally to that. I hope that makes sense. It does, absolutely. And it's a, it's a really interesting point. Um, I think, you know, traditionally we've seen, as you say, that the, the big vendors get it right and they've done phenomenally well out of it in, in in the education in the education space and and you know part of our job 
at, at Phoenix is to kind of help educate uh, some of those vendors that perhaps don't understand the, the education sector on, on what that opportunity looks like. And, uh, you know, when when you're coming from a, a very corporate focused vendor to start looking at the UK education sector, it's sometimes very hard to to, to, to you know, persuade these people that there is the opportunity. So it's, it's a very, very valid point, David. Just to, just to build on to that, uh, and maybe a, through a slightly different lens, and David may just be being polite. I mean, I think from I think from side business schools perspective, we have seen equally seen those vendors who've been fantastic in terms of being understanding, supportive, empathetic to the situation, and being by the side of us in terms of what I would call true strategic partners. We have equally seen, and I'm pleased to say, it's a relatively small number those who have been totally unscrupulous in trying to exploit the situation. And I think that's been extremely disappointing. So all I would say for those vendors that uh, may be listening to that this podcast, it, it is those that have supported us and stood by us who will be stood in good stead moving forward. It is those that have tried to exploit the situation commercially uh, that we will be taking a long, hard look at in terms of are they really strategic partners. It's it's a very similar conversation, Mark, that to to what we what we had on a podcast a few months back, and and the general consensus was that people will remember how they've been treated throughout this period, and and you know that that'll be very hard to forget in in some cases. So I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned that. Right, moving on. So we've talked about kind of uh, you know how how this has affected the students. Uh, we talked about, you know, something you mentioned there around synchronous, asynchronous teaching. I'd like to just focus in on, on that for a little while. Do you, do you think if that can be, uh, if that if that's done well and if there's a way that's figured out to do it right, do you think that's something that'll stick around in the future once things start to hopefully one day return back to some sort of normality? Or do you think that it'll go back to very much more of a campus based, uh, you know, environment that we were in before? Well, I'll come in here because I know from talking to some of my customers, some of the some of the customers that my my guys look after, is there is some of them are moving to more of an online <coughs> model. Um, certainly, you know whether that's going to be next year, two years, three, or you know certainly in the, in, in in the future they're looking at a more of an online based, or certainly a big chunk of their business will be online based. So, is some of the the way forward going to be building out the remote working because it could be scale, it could be more access you know most giving more students access in a different way as well as coming back you know re retaining re coming back to the business that you've been running for for many years in in a maybe a more modernized function but also as well you know it does online teaching online university as a, as a part of your business or a part of the sector is that going to become bigger <coughs> again bigger better faster stronger now because you've learned a lot you've got the the, the platform if you like because because you've shown what you can do um and the users are coming with you, if you like. This, this, as you say, the staff are adapting. They're, they're, they're learning, and they're going to keep learning. They, are, they will be adapting. So, is this something you can see longer term? This kind of um, online teaching model continue. I, I think. I, I think at side business complex, it's 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 a model where we see it as providing a portfolio of choice. I think you know, le learning is an incredibly personal experience to an individual, and you know. There are different preferences in terms of the channels that that's delivered in, how and when, the media, whether people like to do it individually, whether they like to do it in group. So I think what we will find as a personal view is that more educational institutions will have to think about providing a portfolio of choice 
which best meets and tailors those needs. With, with, with Science Business School, I think that will be face-to-face. -face. It will be blended, where perhaps a portion of the course is done online to inform better, higher quality discussion in the classroom, face-to-face. -face. Yeah. And it may be that we continue to grow and expand our online portfolio. We, we know, I'm sure it's the same with Nigel and David, one of our biggest challenges at Science Business School is space. We, we physically can't fit any more students into the premise or into the collegiate structure. So one way to sort of uh, fulfill our social outreach mission and values is to provide more online accessibility to, to students in destinations and geographies in a way that wasn't previously possible. And you know, our, our mission is very much to make Oxford accessible to all. So I, I can see it being a very important part, Dax. I think, I think one of the questions might be how we best do that. Do we do, we do it on our own or do we, do we do it in partnership with big technology partners or like-minded edu educational institutions? You know, the likes of Microsoft, Apple, Google have spent a lot of time looking at primary and secondary education. I think it's only a matter of time as a personal view that we might see the University of Microsoft or the University of Apple. You know, they have the infrastructure, they have the platforms, uh, they don't have the content, but that's where you know, a university or a business school could be an attractive proposition for them as a potential partner. From, from our perspective, I, I agree with everything you've said. Face-to-face um, -face teaching will always be a huge part of what we're about. I mean, we are a regional university, um, and it's entirely right that students will come to us and continue to expect that, that on-campus experience. But, but the word that Mark called out, and I 100% agree, is choice. It's the opportunity to, um, for people to consume learning, to, to, to access our services at a place and in a way that suits them. Um, and equally, from the academic perspective, actually, let's spend, I know our colleagues are already spending time to, to actually create courses, because one of the challenges we had, um, particularly in that first lockdown period, being predominantly a face-to-face -face, um, learning institution, was that all of our material was designed to be um, delivered in partnership in the same physical location as our students. So when we translate, when we moved over to that digital environment, some of the the delivery was was challenging because it was a face-to-face -face course that was just being forced into a digital environment. Over the last six months, eight months, the academic colleagues have had the time to actually design courses to optimise and take the best out of delivery in a digital way. And I think what we will see is that on a module or a course basis, components will now be delivered digitally, remotely as their primary aims, because actually that works really well. And face-to-face -face will be, um, again, for those areas, for those colleagues that, that want to work in that, in that way. So it is about choice. The other area, I think, as, a, as a, a university that will never return the same is that segregation, that separation of physical and digital. When we're looking at our space requirements, it will be done in a di completely different way. You know, we will be looking at far more of that collaborative space, far more of that engaging space. Uh, the the academics, I never thought I'd hear it, particularly from one of our um, our trusted schools. It was it was law, but there we go. Um, which we, who are great fans of the uh, of the traditional chalk and talk. They're moving away from that. I'm, I'm doing them down, but but actually they're really singing the praises of they need to change their space so that they can 
engage with with the students and their colleagues in a far more dynamic different way so that that blending of physical and digital um can only continue and rightly so i think i would add that we've we've still got a long way to go and i think that what protects us against the and it and it's not that we're looking at it as some sort of threat it's about the value of education so what 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 protects education from the university of microsoft or google or apple or whatever is people this is this is fundamentally about people and the research and the understanding and the sharing of knowledge which is why we don't see many um very technologically driven companies um uh, being successful in the in the education space it's also why MOOCs, useful as they are, are evolving into something else because knowledge sharing is effectively a people activity. And we all know the, 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 the knowledge transfer between people only partly happens in books or digital environments, only partly happens in even uh, voice communication. It's imparted in doing and um, uh, uh, interpretation of people's actions and and the sharing of information as they go through research or research activity so if it's fundamentally about people then then our academic environment's got to evolve interestingly in the way that our academic libraries have evolved um uh, my library at the university of sterling has been a, an early adopter like like a number of libraries in the sense that the transactional stuff that that's all automated now there is very little transactional stuff that happens in the library that is not automated or dealt with through technology because the value is in what our terrific library staff and information people and technology people spending time with the students virtually or um, physically side by side sharing the information and teaching them and helping them to understand how to exploit data and how to exploit information and how to exploit technology and and therefore getting that transactional stuff out of the way and putting that value in and connecting closer our communities with the knowledge experts and their peer groups so they can share information is much more pedagogically sound than suggesting that it's all going to go online and there's a big threat from some of the technology companies. Yes, there are threats there, but actually we, we have just demonstrated as a sector that there's a big opportunity here for us to just strengthen our hand by saying, we are the experts in this we understand this and we are now exploiting technology to make that even better so i think i hope that that just adds to what nigel and mark said because i think we're saying the same thing really which is yep. which is that we're growing and evolving at a significant rate now yeah it's great it's great to see the similarities between all of the organizations i appreciate you're all at different stages and you know different areas and locations and different propositions but it is it's very interesting the dynamic I, I will i will add johnny and you know we touched about it it is a boy choice but may, may, maybe i'm just too old-fashioned still whether, whether it's you know going to the football and supporting your football team whether it's going to the pop concert whether it's going to the west end if you've got world-class faculty like sterling leeds beckett side business school have mm. 
you can't substitute what I would call the theatre of the classroom, the experience mm. of being there. And, you know, you, you will never substitute that online. And, yeah. and I think, you know, that, that platform to showcase the world-class leading faculty and academics that we have, the stimulation, the diversity, the richness of the conversation that brings is what it's about. You know, that's the, that's the passion of education. It's that igniting that, that stimulus of the idea that whatever you've done, you know, that person leaves that classroom, leaves that course, graduates a better person than when they started. And if we all do that, then we've all collectively done our jobs. Great point, totally Mark. agree. Great point. Call me old fashioned as well, Mark. I totally agree. <laughs> um, right. One final question before we before we wrap up. I'm just conscious of time now. So if if you guys could offer one piece of advice to people in your positions in other higher education institutions, what would it be? Let's start with you, uh, David. <laughs> <laughs> right on the spot, right away. I was hoping for some time there. Okay, fair enough. Um, one piece of advice. I think what we have to have learned is that you will never see where the threat is coming from. And therefore, being prepared is is everything, really. Um, as I said, we were discussing disruption and digital disruption for many years um, in, in the sector and, and at my university, we were from the from the day I joined, we were discussing how would we respond to disruption? And I think it was the fact that that would that conversation would have helped her agility by it not being a surprise. OK, it was a surprise that it was a, a pandemic that caused that disruption. But we had been discussing HMV and, um, you know, uh, other organisations that had failed and, and what other organisations were doing to protect themselves against disruption. And the disruption is not necessarily business or commercial threat. The disruption can be anything. It is a pandemic. It is a plague of locusts. It is a flood. You don't know what that, that disruption is going to be. And it's about being prepared. I think that's intrinsic in IT people. I think they prepare because they design and plan for capacity in all sorts of areas. But I think as organisationally, we need to be constantly reviewing that and constantly looking for the disruption that will that will inevitably come from an unexpected area. So that would be my advice. Great advice. Thanks, David. Uh, Mark, if we go with you next. Yeah, of course, of course, Johnny. I, I... I would have two, if that's okay. One is about work and one is about personal. I think from a work perspective, the new norm now is living with ambiguity. And that, that is almost counter to all the professional disciplines that we've been brought up with, where we like to specify something to within an inch of its life, put it, put it in its pigeonhole, know what the size and shape and scope and cost of it is. That's all gone out the window. You know, the one thing that's certain now is change and living with ambiguity. I don't, you know, I'm lucky and we are all lucky in the current pandemic if we know what tomorrow brings, let alone next week, next month, next year. And, you know, we have to create the environment where our teams are comfortable with that, can adapt with that, can work with that, can be agile with that. Uh, and at the same time, maintain that resilience and motivation. Uh, the second one is a personal one. And I think, you know, we've all, we've all seen this. T today is day 313 of working from home for me. Uh, 
as, as, as a leader, we have expectations and we put pressures on ourselves and we feel that in terms of managing, leading and motivating our teams. One thing that this has taught me is it's OK to be not OK. You know? And, you know, it's OK to get up and not be 100 percent. And and that's all right. And if you, you know, if you can admit that, if you can share that, if you feel able to and know that you've got the support uh, and that your team have got your back, uh, you all go through it together. And I think that's an important thing. And the one thing that this pandemic has brought to mind is that you know, work is important, but it fits in its own place. Uh, you know, it's 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 people, it's collaboration, it's support, it's knowing that you're you're all there for each other. That's the important thing at the end of the day. And you know, I, I think at, at the school we we have really realised that during this pandemic and if anything has brought us together as a family and community uh, and that as we said earlier is one thing that I've been particularly proud of. Thanks Mark, some wise words. Uh, Nigel, over um, to you. I, I was going to be last so I thought great that gives me a lot more time to, to think about something that would be pithy. Um, so I'm changing my mind. I was going to talk about, I'm going to say two things, but I was going to talk about be ambitious I and mean, we've all gone through a huge amount of change in the last 12 months. Um, be ambitious in building on what on on what we've learnt. Uh, be be ambitious on building on the fact that actually across uh, across our institutions we've advanced probably all of our own digital strategies five years within this one year period. So so let's build on it. Let's deliver it. Actually, the bit that I should have said and 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 was my first thought if you hadn't picked on David was was nurture our staff. You know, I think what our colleagues have gone through has been huge. We've been part of that. But I have found that in all of our dealings with the staff and listening into other staff meetings, we're actually spending more time genuinely caring and listening to our staff. And I think that is something we've got to build on. We've got to continue to support our colleagues. We've got to continue to invest in developing them because that has been the asset that's seen us through the last 12 months, not the technology. Absolutely brilliant point, Nigel. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely agree, Nigel. Fantastic. So, firstly, I'd like to thank Dax for for, for pulling this phenomenal panel of, of guests together today um, for us on Pod. Um, I think that's about it for time. Um, but I, we've genuinely captured some really great content there, and I'm really pleased you could all join me to discuss your challenges and objectives in in such an open way. Have Have you all enjoyed your time on Pod with me today? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, talking to you guys has been brilliant and, and hearing your side of it is, uh, is, is it can get a bit lonely I think uh, we could all recognize uh, particularly when you're you're working from home but um, uh, just sharing stuff is a brilliant thing to do in our sector yeah thank you it's been great to connect with David and Nigel again uh, and, and yourself Johnny Tax so th thanks for the opportunity thanks guys so that's it for this episode thanks for listening and we hope you found it of use please get in touch if you want to discuss any of the points further and if you want to support what we do please share and subscribe and we'll see you in the next episode of pod